Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Greater Alton Church and Happy New Year. If you're uh, anticipating a better year in 2004, I sure am. Um, good, good, uh, it's good to see the new year, okay? 2004? I went back in time. Right in front of you. Okay. Let me speed up now. But Happy New Year, whichever year you choose. Uh, good to be with you this morning. <laughs> uh, no, it's great. My name is Tim, and if it's your first time here, glad you could be here with us and and uh, spend some of the holiday or the week. I, I like between Christmas and New Year's. It's a great time to reflect. It's the end of the year. Christmas is finally behind us, and so you can kind of take a pause and rest and uh, reflect on um, the blessings and uh, of uh, the previous year and the anticipation of a better one. And so if you're here this morning for the first time, glad you could be here. Uh, you can get a free CD of today's lesson. If you're, if you're a first-time guest, just go out here to the, in the small dome at that round welcome center. You'll see Megan or someone there by a computer and say, hey, I'd like to have a free CD of today's lesson. You can get that copy. Or you can simply listen to it at greateraltonchurch.com or org. I can't remember. Org. Thank you, Morgan, for that. And on greatgirlchurch.org. Um, a few things I want you to know about in your bulletin. You're going to see a, a communication card. And again, that just gives you an opportunity at the end of this lesson. We don't have an altar call. We let you make a decision right where you are in your seat. And maybe there's a prayer request or a, a comment or a decision you'd like to make today. Uh, why not, why not uh, let some other people know about it? And they'll pray over that decision. They'll pray over that comment. And they'll even pray over that request. We have a team of people that pray all week long. Uh, they only get a few cards apiece. They don't talk to anybody else but the Lord about what you put on that card. And um, just want you to know that that's offered to you. Uh, and you can fill that out as we close the services. Um, also in, that, in there is a set of notes of today's lesson. And you can just follow along and, and uh, put uh, fill in blanks or circle words. We like to circle words here at Greater Alton. We really look at the Word of God. And uh, you can take those notes home with you. And on your own, I hope you'll, you'll study and check out what, we've, what we're talking about in this series, uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict. And then uh, you're going to notice also in the bulletin, I believe on the back page, something about next year is here. Uh, and that is next week. Uh, that is next week, 6 o'clock here uh, Greater Alton Church, and we're going to be gathering together for a celebration. We're going to eat together. It's going to be potluck, and and um, hopefully we'll be lucky, and everybody will bring something. Uh, here's here's uh, Rhonda Reinard. Rhonda, would you stand up wherever you are, Rhonda? Are you over this way? There you are. There's Rhonda. She's in charge of the food, okay? And uh, I heard a woo, two woos, okay, and some whistling, okay. So she's going to be in charge of the food, and she will be calling the uh, list of people that are on our REC groups there in your bulletin be calling you. And why would she be doing that? Well, what we're asking is that every REC group do this, okay? If you could bring two meats, two side dishes, and two desserts. It's really easy to remember. Two meats, two side dishes, and two desserts. Enough to feed your group and, and a half more. Group and a half. How about that? And she's going, to be, she, she's going to be calling you sometime this week, probably Wednesday or Thursday right in there is what we're thinking, to see you know, what kind of meat you have. Because we just don't want to have all ham and, heaven forbid, all turkey. We don't want that. <laughs> okay. but, but, uh, it's, we're going to, and we'll be getting together here at 6 o'clock. I think she's asking the food we brought here by 5. And we're going to serve and eat together. 
and just enjoy being together. And then we'll come together for a service where we'll reflect on the past year and reveal our our theme for next year. And it's a it's a wonderful theme that we're going to be uh, focusing on in 2014. So uh, be anticipating that if you're a leader of your REC group, be talking to your group today or tomorrow or whenever and, and plan out what you're going to bring, okay? Again, two meats, two sides, two desserts. We're in this series, um, in this series called uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict. We've been looking at it in our small groups. We've been looking at it here on Sundays. And all this material complementing each other, hopefully, and you're learning something about conflict. I know I am. I'm learning that, that uh, I have a lot of conflict in my life. And uh, I'm learning that it's not that, I've, that, that this series has created more conflict. It's just there's, there's plenty. I don't need any more. Okay? But I've also learned something else. I've learned that not only conflict is a part of life, it's just a regular part of life. But I've also learned this, and that is that I don't handle conflict very well. I don't handle it very well with my, my wife. I don't handle it very well with my children. I'm not very good at conflict with people, with coworkers, and many of you here have had moments where you've had an encounter with me, and I just didn't do very well, did I? Don't don't say amen too loud. But you know what I'm saying? I've learned that. I've learned that. I want to be better at this. I really want to be. I know it's important that that I be better at this, and I hope that you're feeling the challenge as well to be better at addressing conflict in your life, whether it be between you and God or you and another person. Because God wants you to experience His peace. Look at this passage here. Look at this passage as we start here on your notes. And it simply says this in Hebrews 12. It says, try to live in peace with all people. I love it. I'm glad it says try. Try to live in peace with all people and try to live free from sin. Anyone whose life is not holy will never see the Lord. You know, I've never noticed this, but there's a connection here. Notice that the Christian life is not just about purity. We think of holy living as about, well, I've got to live this pure life without sin. And I should try to do that. That's why I underlined it for you all. Yeah, but notice it says try to live in peace. That not only is purity important to God, but peace is important to God. He wants me to be a peacemaker. and He wants me to pursue purity. That's what holy living is about. He wants me to experience that. And, and, the, and the thing is, is that uh, we've learned in this series so far is, is we've learned several things. And one of them is that if I want peace in my life, the Bible teaches that I must make peace my priority. That's something I've got to want. You'd be surprised how many people don't want peace. They're happier with conflict than they are with peace. In fact, they've had conflict in their life so much, they don't know what, what, how, even how to process or deal with peace in a family or a, or a, a workplace. But that's something I think we've, we've learned together in this series, that if I want peace, I've got to pursue it. It's got to be my own personal quest to be a peacemaker. I've also, I think also we've learned not only that, but we've also learned that peacemaking is focusing on what pleases God and not so much on what pleases me. You know, if you want to make peace, here's what I'm learning. It may not please me. That making peace isn't, a, isn't pleasant. In fact, I think the Bible says that... that uh, then no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Well, let me tell you, trying to pursue peace can be work. It can be very tough. It can be discouraging. And it's not very pleasing personally. 
but it pleases God. And see, that's why, that's why sometimes in order to make peace, you've got to overlook your own pleasures. Focus on the pleasures of God. What would God want me to do? What would God want you to do with the people right now you're in conflict with? That's a big question, isn't it? Another thing we've learned is that I must look at my contribution to the conflict. Now, you might say, well, I haven't done anything. Okay. <laughs> you keep believing that, all right? Because the Bible says that we all sin. And we probably, whether it's a little bit or a lot, we bring something to the conflict. If it's still going on, we're bringing something to the, to the conflict. It's called apathy. We're not dealing with it. And so I've learned in this series, and I hope you have too, that sometimes we just need to own up to our contribution to the conflict. And of course, one of the things we've learned recently, last couple of weeks, is that I've got to be open. If I want peace, I've got to not only be own up to what I've done, but maybe open up and let there be some correction. I have to listen to something that's hard to hear, but the results are peace. Now today I want to talk about how discipline can, can really create peace in our lives and how it can bless our lives. Discipline is a blessing from God. Like I said before, you know, the Bible says something about it's not pleasant at the time. It's not pleasant. I, I agree. You know, uh, as a parent, it isn't pleasant for me to discipline. It wasn't, dis- wasn't pleasant to discipline my children. It wasn't pleasant for them to receive my discipline. It's not pleasant at the time. And if you ever, if you ever enjoy correcting somebody, you may need to get out of the Christian business. Because it's not supposed to be pleasant. It's unpleasant at the time, but the results are phenomenal. Look at the book of Proverbs says here. The corrections of discipline are the way to life. You agree with that? Bible says discipline has has something to do. It's a it's a, an ingredient in blessing your life. It's the way to really living. And you think, stop and think about it. We do admire discipline when you stop and think about it for a minute. What do you mean, Tim? Well, like in sports, how many of you have watched the movie Hoosiers, or We Are Marshall, or maybe you've seen Miracle. You know, we, we see all these different movies of sports or we or in a few weeks we're going to be seeing the Olympics. And, you know, and how many of us have watched these gymnasts or skiers or 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 football players, whatever have you, whatever it be. We watch these movies and we notice something that as these teams succeed, whether it be a small town in Indiana in Hoosiers that wins the state championship with just six players, six or seven players. Or there'd be the, the, the Olympic hockey team winning, do you believe in miracles? One of the things that's in common, whether it's Remember the Titans or whatever movie you, want to, you ever want to say, you always got a coach behind them that's pushing and is challenging them, that's just calling out of them something better. And we all admire that. Now, if you guys know, um, you know, in gymnastics, there's the great Bella, who was a Romanian coach, himself was a great athlete. And, and we all know him as the man who coached Nadia Kamenich, who did a perfect 10 in gymnastics. The only, really the first person to ever do it. And yet you read books that are written about this man, and he's, he's coached a lot of great athletes over the years. Uh, you know, 
even American gymnasts. We won lots of gold medals because of this man. But you read the books behind, the books behind this, and some of, some of the athletes that were trained by this man said he was cruel, demeaning, harsh, mean-spirited. He would control everything from their diet to their sleeping habits. And yet people like Nadia and others would say, one of the greatest coaches to ever live because they drew the best. He was able to draw out the best, but it came with discipline. We admire sports, the discipline of sports. We admire, we admire discipline when we see it uh, expressed in music and in art and academics, don't we? We know people are very good at playing an instrument or very good at entertainment. And then you find out all the hard work and the people, the teachers that were behind this person's success, the people that pushed them, made them do things. I think Coach Landry, Tom Landry once said from the Dallas Cowboys said, a coach's job is to get a player to do something he doesn't want to do or doesn't believe he can do. And so what do coaches do? They push. They challenge. They pull out the best. And they do that through discipline. Our military. Imagine our military. Think about our military. Oh, there's many of you here. I did not serve in the military. Who served in the military? Would you raise your hand? There we go. Wonderful. Wonderful. Am I, am I correct that basic training isn't a walk in the park? That's what I understand. I mean, when I, what I thought basic training was, I grew up watching Gomer Pyle. And that's an old 60s show, but I, I thought it was a big joke. I found out, no, it's not. Everybody I talked to, I had Bob Bader in the first service. He's in the Navy. I said, I thought you guys just went around in boats and, you know. I joined the Navy to see the world. And what did I see? I saw the sea, you know. I mean, that's what I thought he... And he's talking about, no, it was tough. It was rough. And by the way, you got a basic. It's no cakewalk after that either. And why? Why such, such discipline in the military? Lives depend on it. And we, we're so glad we have trained, disciplined people like Navy SEALs and Delta Force. They save lives and they save each other. Life depends on discipline. You know, here at home, we, we, we admire discipline in the family. How many of you see a family with a couple of kids that are well-behaved and, and, and say to yourself, I wish my kids were like that. You know, after church, after the last amen, we're going to be thinking about heaven. And all you know what's going to break loose because the kids are coming out. And some of you parents are going to let your kids just run, 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 run. They're going to run over people. They're going to break things. You think people respect that? They don't respect your family. Now, some of you are thinking, finally, somebody's talking about this. Maybe I'm talking about your kid. But all of us would say we really admire children who are well-behaved that respect authority. I, there's some, we have some families here. The Bible says somewhere in Proverbs that when a son or a daughter is disciplined, that the parents are at peace. And some of you know what I'm talking about, parents. Your kids are well-behaved and you go, I don't have to worry about them. You know, they say, do you know where your kid is? Yeah. And I'll tell you what he's not in. Trouble. 
You say, well, you know, kids aren't perfect. Absolutely. But you've got, to admire, you've got to admire these families that you see them lovingly and consistently discipline their children. And they're well behaved. It's a blessing. It is the way to life. You see, discipline leads us to a productive and joyful life. Though we may not like it. Though we may find it very unpleasant at times. Boy, the rewards are amazing. There's even discipline in the kingdom. When you stop and think about it, the Bible talks about discipline in the kingdom of God. And it's through the process of of working with each other, calling the best of each other, confronting each other, that churches grow and mature. Greater Rome's a better church when we're willing to go through discipline. When we're willing to be disciplined. Now, I know a lot of us here, we think about church discipline or discipline in general in churches, and we think, oh, no, no, I'm not having anything to do with it because I find discipline to be legalistic. I find it to be harsh and judgmental. And you know, you're probably right. i got to admit, many times I have been legalistic, judgmental, and harsh with folks. Wish I could take it all back. Can't. All I can do is fix, you know, work on it. And a lot of churches, they will not speak to each other, truth into each other. They keep their lives superficial because they think, even Christians today think, that to correct or to discipline is judgmental. It's condemning and demeaning. Yet the Bible would say the opposite. The Bible tells us that it's a blessing from God and it's a blessing for you. So what is, what is discipline? What kind of discipline brings peace in my life, Tim? What kind of discipline can ultimately bring reconciliation and resolution to my life? And what a, what a time to talk about this at the end of a year when we're all thinking about what am I going to change next year? And let me suggest to you this morning that you and I, the Greater Alton Church, be a church that disciplines the way I'm describing to you. The way the Bible teaches. Well, what are you talking about, Tim? Well, here's the kind of discipline that brings peace, that blesses your life. First, this kind of the the discipline will this will bring peace in my life when the motive of discipline is love. It's got to be about love. I mean, let's be honest. There's been a lot of discipline. Maybe you've you've given and maybe taken that wasn't very loving. It wasn't very kind. And many times, maybe a coach was yelling at you. You guys seen that rant from the SIU coach? Apparently it worked. They clobbered SIUE. You know, but I mean, it's a big tirade about how his wife could outshoot his players, you know. By the way, she could. She could. Um... But, but you look at that, you look at different coaches, different, different kinds of teachers. You see them out of line at school. Maybe you know of a teacher. You go, man, you're totally out of line for that, for what you just did or how you just handled that. Harsh, angry, mean-spirited. Maybe a, it's not just, not just for schools and not just for sports, guys. It can happen in the church. Preachers. 
leaders. They're harsh. Lack of compassion and understanding. Why don't you see this? Why are you so hard on this? Why are you giving me so much guff over this? And even Christians, we do it to each other. Can you think of somebody, or maybe you think of yourself, giving discipline, correction to someone, and it was just, it wasn't very loving. Why do we do that? Why is it that we have this across the board, whether in the kingdom or out of the kingdom? It's easy. We're all sinners. We're all sinners that are trying to do something the Bible teaches, and we blow it. We, we just, we sin. We mess up. And so a lot of times, our discipline, our correction, our confrontation is ugly and not very loving. And I think that's why many Christians, many Christians are turned off by this idea of discipline. We say things like this, I'm not going to judge anyone. I'm not saying anything. I'm not judging anybody. In fact, doesn't the Bible say not to judge? It's amazing how we can quote a verse when we want to. You're quoting Matthew 7, verse 1. It says, do not judge or you'll be judged. And we say, see, Jesus said don't judge. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel like, you know, I don't think I should be judging. Is he talking about judging or condemning? I'm just, I've always wondered about that. Sounds like he's talking about condemnation more than judging there. Because, let's admit it, we have to make some kind of judgment in life, period, don't we? I mean, do you... Well, look, here's the, remember the old beer commercial in the Super Bowl? Driving along, the couple. Look, he's got an axe. No, he's got Bud Light. He's got an axe. Did you say to the t- did you look at the TV and go, oh, you're being so judgmental? Remember the guy goes, well, he needs a ride. <laughs> we need guys. We 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 make judgment all the time. We make judgment all the time. But the Bible says when we discipline, it needs to be out of love. Look at the Bible says here in Hebrews 12:1. The Lord disciplines everyone He loves. Now, this is interesting. What I notice is the first three words. The Lord disciplines. God disciplines. And if I'm to be like God, there's going to be moments where I'm going to be called to discipline. He says He disciplines everyone He loves. He severely disciplines. I use this translation on purpose because a lot of translations say punish. And we get this idea of punishment is bad. But it means a severely disciplined what? Everyone he accepts as his child. What's he saying here? That his motive for everything he does, he does out of love. To the church at Laodicea, and this was a text we looked at just a few, few days ago in the daily text. Look what it says here to the church at Laodicea. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. What's he saying? Because I love, I rebuke. I discipline. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, the Bible says do everything in love. And that would include how we confront each other. Is that out of love? Is the motive love for the person or for yourself? In fact, if you were to 
just do a thing from scale to one to ten. How much is it about loving the person when it comes to correction and discipline? The Bible says we're to discipline out of love. And I'm going to say, if you've got this attitude, and I know many of us here may have this attitude, I don't want to be a judge, and I just don't, I feel uncomfortable judging. I'd like you to, if you just open your mind a little bit, just a little bit here, and look at what the Scriptures teach. Because I don't believe we're to condemn. But we're called to, to make judgment. We'll see that in a minute here. We have to. Between good and bad, right and wrong. What's the second thing? Well, the discipline will bring peace and it blesses my life when the goal of discipline is holiness. You know, why? ask yourself, why am I confronting this? Why am I being confronted? Why am I challenging this person? Why am I correcting? Why am I receiving correction? Well, if the goal is discipline, it's good. If the goal of discipline is holiness, it's good. See, there's a lot of reasons why people will confront others or discipline other people. Sometimes they, they do it because they want control. They want you to conform. Or you want them to conform. You want control. Another, another uh, motive or another goal people have when it comes to uh, discipline is it's about pleasing themselves more than it is about pleasing God. Or it's more about pleasing others and not pleasing God. So the goal is not holiness. It's about what I want. Sometimes the goal of discipline can be retaliation. You confronted me couple of months ago. Now it's your turn. I'm coming after you. Or revenge. Or just shame. I want to put you in your place. And see, God has a place for people. It's not your place. It's holiness is where He wants them to be. I have to keep telling myself that. Is it about holiness? Look at the Bible says here in Hebrews. It says here in Hebrews chapter 12, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. And I thought, I'm so thankful it says it that way because it's the best we knew how. I remember one time my mom said, You know, Tim, I think we broke every parenting rule that was ever made. We just lived. I'll never forget her saying that. We just lived, Tim. We tried. We tried to do our best. I said, We did pretty good, Mom. I turned out pretty good. I think it was in spite of us, to be honest. But even earthly fathers, fathers that have weaknesses, you know, parents, let's face it, you know, we don't have it all together. We We do the best we know how. But look how different it is for God. But God's discipline is always right and good for us. You can count on God's discipline always being right and good. That's the kind of discipline we should pursue. Why? Because it means we will share in His holiness. His discipline, everything God does, is to help you and I be holy. What's that mean? To be like Him. To have His character. It's not about, it's not about putting somebody under a thumb. It's not about putting somebody in their place. It's about getting them to a place of holiness. And guys, I want to 
say to you this this morning is that our discipline here, my discipline, your discipline, our discipline as a church must be like God's here. It's got to be about holiness, not about I'm going to get you to do what I want or, or I'm going to get you to do what somebody else wants, but it's about what God wants in their life. But that's the ultimate purpose of discipline. That's its ultimate goal. In order to do that, I've got to shove my agenda out of the way and all my selfishness out of the way and really truly look at what does God want in that person's life. That's challenging. That's challenging. The third, the third thing I need to do or that I can do that will bring peace and bless my life is, here's how what discipline does, when the path of discipline is instructive and corrective. When the path of discipline is not only instructive, but it's also corrective. Because there, there's two types. There's basically two types of discipline in the kingdom of God. There's the kind, what I call formative discipline and corrective. Let's look at the first one. Formative discipline. What is that? Well, that's about 99% of church life. About 99% of your church life is in this particular area of discipline. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, it's the kind of, the kind of things that, that I'm experiencing and doing that develop my character, that develop my habits, that develop my skills, that change my thinking and my habits through being proactive, a proactive approach. You follow me now? Let me give you let me give you a few here. One, for example, is formative discipline would be through scripture. That's one. Through scripture. How many times have you read the Bible and went, oh wow? Read read a scripture and went, really? Somewhere uh, look at this passage here I found. It says here and this is on on the screen. The psalmist says, O Lord, blessed is the person whom you discipline and instruct from your teachings. You know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, the word of God is living and not living and active. It's inspired by God and says it's useful for, remember, teaching, rebuking, correcting and training for righteousness. What's that mean? That when I read the Bible, it's going to teach me some things. Oh, well, that's cool. That's neat. That's amazing. It's going to rebuke me. Ouch. It's going, to, it's going to say, stop that. That's wrong. And a lot of people stop there. They think that's what the Bible basically does. It teaches me some interesting things and just condemns me all the time. But the Bible doesn't say, it says there's more to it than that. It's more to it than saying that's wrong. It corrects me. It says, here's what's right. Here's what you're doing wrong, but here's what's right. And and it doesn't leave you hanging there. Well, okay, I know what to do, but how? It goes on and says, and trains you. So the Word of God is going to discipline you and instruct you. You can expect that. That's one way God does that. And we do that around here at Greater All the Time. Not only do we have teaching and preaching and, you know, on Sundays, but we have Bible classes. We have sunset. We have small group. We're going through, we're going through our, uh, our material right now and resolving everyday conflict. There's stuff going on individually with discipling that's going on where we open the Word of God and look at a particular thing or somebody has a question and we try to answer it. It's happening all the time. 
And God's doing that to bring out His holiness, His character in you. God does not want you in the dark. This morning, if, and I'm, I want you to know, I used to be one of these people. I thought you couldn't understand this book. Preachers complicate the heck out of it. And I thought, there's no way I can understand this book. I found out I could if I just read it. Just simply look at it and read it. But he all, not only does he use the avenue of scriptures, he uses a few others. And there's the sec, uh, second one is he uses uh, it's through relationships. Discipline comes through relationships, through my friendships, through my good friendships. It says in Proverbs 13:20, spend time with the wise and you'll become wise. So God says, hey, one of the ways you develop this discipline, one of the ways you're disciplined is through having spiritual friendships, redemptive friendships that will show you, model for you, and encourage you to do what's right. Another one is, and by the way, I want to say this, I hope you have that kind of relationship in your life. It's very difficult to develop in the, in the Christ-likeness without friendships like this. That's what the church is for. You're not going to get that from somebody at the water fountain at work or somebody that's goofing off at work, you know, school or whatever. You're going to get this from other wise people that know the Word, that know the Lord. But discipline also comes through another one, and that's, it comes through accountability. That's the third one. Hebrews 10 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And so sometimes it's this accountability in my relationships that spurs me. And that word spur means to poke and prod. And oh, I think one translation says, Think of ways to irritate one another toward love and good deeds. And I can think of lots of people that have irritated me. And yes, toward love and good deeds. You know anybody like that? They just go, boy, here they come. They're never satisfied. But they've thought about it. And they're, they're, it's not that they're hard to satisfy. They think you want to be helped. And so they poke you, prod you toward love and good deeds. You got anybody that does that to you, that calls you out? and says, you need to deal with that. Let me help you work on that. It's a discipline in the Bible that helps you become like Christ. And another, another, another avenue of, of formative discipline is through serving. What do you mean, Tim? Well, it's when I do things. I put things into practice. I do things for others. I serve other people. It says in Ephesians 4 that God gave all these different guys, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and prophets, and apostles. For what purpose? Well, it was to prepare them for God's holy people for works of serving. Look here. To make the body. It says here to make the body of Christ stronger. The church is stronger when you're disciplined through serving. This work must continue, he says, until we are all joined together in the same faith and in the same knowledge of the Son of God. We must become like a mature person, growing until we become like Christ and have His perfection. What's he saying? Until you're like Christ. It helps you become holy like God. And how's that happen? When you serve. Last week we went out caroling. Many of you went out caroling. Did you have fun? I want to tell you, 
we, our group, we had two or three groups get together. Only a handful showed up. I was not happy. We're standing around. A couple of reasons we're not happy. There was maybe one or two of us that could actually sing. And I could figure out what happened to everybody. We, they knew we were going to do this. Jim Strimp is home, sick. He didn't even make it to church. Tim, <coughs> I can't. I'm not going to be able to make it. Sorry. He was the guy that was going to drive us in his van around. So we're scrambling. Andy Lasers in Ohio. Something about the Buckeyes. And so we're, there's just about five or six of us, right, Danny? There's just a handful of us. Danny shows up. We got a tenner. So we're, so we all get in the truck and we go all the way up to Jim and Nona's house, Medora, way over there. We'd heard one of them saying to their breath, well, they're not going to come to our house. We're safe. <laughs> they were first on our list. <laughs> so we're driving up there. We're calling. Nobody's answering. Maybe Jim and Noon are in trouble. Mm. This is we're caroling and life saving at the same time. We get up there, ding dong, ding dong, no light on. Bob Quicks, their son, their car is parked there. They're not here. So we sing Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Lay Today. Don't we sing? No, we three kings tried to smoke a rubber cigar. That's the one we sang. Danny, I know almost all the words. We're still looking at that last line. And we get in the car and we drive. We're going to go to Reggie's. He's not home. Man, we went to two places. We're zero for two. And we finally, and my brother says, you know, and I'm, I'm bothered because where's everybody at? Blah, blah, blah. And he says, you know, Tim, sometimes... Why don't we just enjoy ourselves? We, these are the people that are going, and let's have a great time. It'll bless us. And I said, okay, bah humbug, but I'll do it. And we end up at Reggie's dad's house where Reggie is, and we sing, and they're just, you know, Reggie just loves it. And I love Reggie's dad. If you ever met his dad, he's such a neat guy. And he's just loving it, too. Then we go over to Jerry Apples. And, you know, if you know Jerry, you know, he opens the door. He's in his pajamas, and he's sick. Real sick. And we're going, silent night. And he goes, holy night. I kid you not. Sorry, I'm sick. All is calm. You know, he goes inside. Oh, what's he going to give us some cookies? He comes out with a, a handkerchief, and he's really blowing louder than we can sing. But he's touched by it. You guys come out here, and I'm sick. We go to Jim and Amber Keller's house, and Tori comes out with cookies. And they're just out of the oven. They're still warm. And one of them had a Green Bay G on it, and someone else took it. probably a bear fan, but we'll talk about that later. So we're, so we're eating the cookies, and then we, you know, then we go to Jim Shrimp's house. We're going to go to Jim's, because he's sick. Ding dong. Ding dong. There's hardly a light in the house. So I text Jim. Jim, are you home? 
No, I'm out with my wife having dinner. Well, Jim, we walked all the way from the church building out here. So I tell, well, you're putting me on a guilt trip. It was a blast. The, the, the discipline of serving and expressing our love to people, we went over to June Benderman's. She invites us in the house. And there's John sitting there grinning here, here the big old mustache he is. And we're singing, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And June's just in tears. This is so cool. And I know uh, there's lots of stories you all had. Many of you have. You went to neighborhoods, had people slam the door in your face, of course. But you also had people that were like, you don't even know us. You ought to hear these stories. They're hilarious. But most of all, they're wonderful. Why? Because they brought out some love and holiness of God. Some people forgot about themselves for a little bit and thought of what would be a way to express love to people. And it made us a little more like Christ. And my brother was right. It was a blessing. What a blessing it was. So it comes through these avenues. And it's all these avenues that transform my mind and my habits. That's formative. And we have that. Guys, we have... Ministries you can serve in or you can serve other people. There's, the Bible says it's more blessed to give and receive. It's true. It's true. It makes you like Christ. It disciplines the life. Here's the, the other corrective or the other form of discipline or type is corrective discipline. Now, let's just face it. Sometimes we get out of, we get out of line. You and I, we get out of line. So much that, that a scripture doesn't seem to do the job or an encouragement or serving just doesn't do the trick. We get, we get, it's not petty stuff now. We're not talking about petty stuff. We're talking about serious sin that hurts a person's life and hurts others. And when that occurs, you can't stick your head in the sand. I don't know of a person that admires a church that looks the other way. You know what they call us when we do that? A bunch of good old boys. And I don't know of a church that respects a leadership that looks the other way. I know that's true because many of you didn't, have not respected our leadership, have not respected my leadership because of my tendency to look the other way. But sometimes you've just got to, you've got to not just be proactive, but you've got to face and deal and correct some things. Now, in, the, in, in uh, Matthew 18, Jesus talks about this path that corrects people in the hope that they will change. He starts off in Matthew 18. He talks about a shepherd. And this is interesting. He, he goes out and leaves the 99 to go find the one that's missing. And he ends it with forgiveness. And sandwiched in between there is how you deal with somebody who needs correction, who needs this kind of discipline. I want you to know God puts two bookends on this passage, two bookends of love on both ends of this idea. It's about His love and it's about holiness. 
Look at verse 15 here in chapter 12. It says, If a brother sins against you, go and show his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. The first thing, the first step is I need to correct is correct privately. It needs to be just between the two of us. Notice that? What's your tendency when it comes to correcting somebody or you've got a problem with somebody? What's our tendency? Do we go talk to them or do we go talk about them? Do we go find somebody that we know would agree with us? Yes, you are right. They shouldn't have talked to you or treated you that way. How dare them? That doesn't resolve anything. You might, you might be successful in ruining this person, but you will not restore them. And that's the goal of discipline. Remember, the, the motive is love and the goal is holiness. Bringing someone back. Bringing someone back. Maybe you say, well, I don't say anything. Because I think correction is unloving and judgmental. I want you to know correction, correcting it this way, is, is among the most loving things you can do for another human being. I don't know how many times I've been called out on something and it saved me. Just privately. You need to work on that, Tim. Okay? You need to deal with that, Tim. Okay? Can you think of somebody who spoke into your life privately? So I just need to talk to you about this. And they're so careful. They're so gentle. It's obvious it's about love. It's obvious about your holiness. And you walk away going, not feeling you've been ganged up on, but man, I'm so glad. Someone said something. You know, I, I don't know what I'd rather hear. I guess, well, I guess I do know what I'd rather hear. I would not want to hear, uh, look, if I had to choose, I'd rather hear somebody say, you're being judgmental, accuse me of that, then why didn't you say something? And maybe you're the kind of person who says, I don't want to say something. I don't want to make waves. The Bible says better... Open rebuke than hidden love. You may think you love them, but you don't. That's what I've learned over the years. That many times I wouldn't say something thinking that was more loving. I'm not talking about petty stuff. There's some petty stuff we need to keep our mouth shut over. It's petty. It doesn't matter. But there are some things you've got to speak up about to each other. I've had people say, well, I don't think it's my... You know, Tim, I just don't feel that I'm worthy of this or I don't have the life for this and I don't have the right I don't have the right to say something to somebody who does who in this room has the right to say anything to anybody about anything there's only one that has the right but he gives you and I the responsibility you may not have the right and by the way I was, talk, I was talking to someone after the first service he goes you know Tim I, I, I feel I beat myself up all the time I said you may be the very person that can help the most. Because it's somebody of humility coming to me. And I said, you know, there's times when you just say it and you lay it out there, and I'm so glad you do that. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. But we don't go, we don't go broadcasting it and gossip about it. No, Jesus says, just between the two of you, and look what it says, if He listens to you, you have won your brother over. He's saying, look, 
that's the results of it. Peace. Reconciliation. But if he doesn't listen to you, look what he says the next thing to do. Go ahead and put it back up, Pat. It's okay. Christmas is over. Everything's out in the open. Here we go. He says, take one or two others along. Now, I've kind of, I've misunderstood this scripture for many years. But looking at it again, with this kind of idea, it gives me something else to think about, all right? He says, but if you will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. What's he talking about there? Take two or three along, so you can strong arm him. No, he doesn't say that. So there's a witness. To what? What are the witnesses for? Well, to show how hard-headed the guy is. That may be true. But do you notice he says, if he doesn't listen to you, take two or three along. Is he saying take them along with you? Why? So they will talk to him? No. So you can talk to him again. You take a couple of people with you. Why? A couple of people can make sure that it's loving and its goal is holiness. Years ago, I've, I've experienced this when two or more have come to me. Just a few years ago, Alan and Gary and Bart Bedorf come, uh, met with me. And I remember, looking back, I just Alan had been for years trying to talk to me about something. He was trying to say, Tim, you're insensitive. You're not very considerate. You're very independent. You're not letting anybody help you. And, I, and I, he was saying it to me, guys. I wasn't hearing it. You know why? Because I was insensitive. And I was independent. I wasn't considerate. I was walking all over him as a fellow elder, walking all over him. I just didn't see it. I just saw him. You're not on board. And I remember the three of us getting together at his house, and he had a piece of paper with an agenda, with a thing, and he gives me a copy of it, of the things he wants to talk to me about. Why is he doing that? He's wanting to make sure he doesn't blow it. And I'm listening to these things, these things he's saying to me, and I'm going, What? What? You got Gary and Bart involved now? Did I feel ganged up on? Absolutely. Absolutely. But one of the things I've really appreciated was the reason there were two or three witnesses there. Because when I'd get out of line, someone would say, Tim, it's, you really need to think about that because it's true. Huh? And when Alan would get out of line, they'd say, hey, Alan, wait a second. Get back to your paper. Remember that? And I'm sitting there going... Wait a minute. This isn't. This isn't. Nobody's ganging up on me. And for, for the first time in this long thing between us, I considered maybe they were trying to help me. Because Alan kept saying, with each sentence, with every sentence, I want you to know I'm saying this because I love you. I'm saying this because I really love you. I'm saying this because I really love you. No, you're not. You don't love me. You're saying mean things to me. I'm saying this because I love you. No, you're not. Gary's going. (laughs) 
I walked away. Was I hurt? Of course. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But you know what I found out? It wasn't so easy for Alan either. It's very difficult for him to talk about this. Because he talked about it so much, he's ready to pull his hair out if he had any. Well, you know what I'm saying. I'm getting confronted afterwards. Okay. But you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm saying is that it would have been easy for him to just to lose it. And, and he came close. And, and again, the witnesses were like, hey, hey, get back to task. Get back to task. And what did they witness? They were watching to see if the two of us could talk to one another. And whenever we got a little bit out of line, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. And here I stand, here we are, still together, better, so much better. There's something when you take two or three others along. If you can't get it done individually, I remember one time he told me, he said he came to, I remember that, he came, he came to the men's retreat and he sits down and he apologizes to me for the things he's brought to the relationship. And I go, okay. And he's like, and? I think you're right. Insensitive? Absolutely. Arrogant? Oh my. Of course. And even he would admit, he said, you know, I think maybe I was saying that so I could get you maybe to pull out of there. And we both realized God wasn't blessing us until we really paid attention to what the Scriptures taught. Is it about love and is it about holiness? And God blesses that. Maybe the reason you're not getting anywhere with a certain conflict is because it's not about love and it's not about holiness. Because God won't bless it. He sure blessed us. Now we, we have conversations and we've had so many different conversations So now since that moment. And it's not been... By the way, his, I want to make this clear. His motive was not for me to be under his thumb. His motive was to get me under God's. Under God's control. How do I know that? Because it's been the other way around. And, he's, and it's about that. It's about not getting my way, but trying to find God's way. What a church we could be if we could all just get this down. That it's not about my agenda, your agenda. Or it's about what does God want us to be? And it happens when you take a few people along. You take somebody else along. You see, I think the world doesn't respect us and the church won't respect, respect what the Bible teaches if we don't confront sin. That's what I keep telling myself. Even though I have the habit of one way or the other, I, I have to tell myself, I have to come back to what does the Scriptures teach me to do? And seek to, to, to obey it. If you're wondering about, am I a judge? Well, look what Jesus says here in John 7. Stop judging by the way things look, but judge by what is really right. What's he saying there? He's saying you're going to have to judge, but don't judge by appearance. If you do judge, make sure it's correct. How do you I make sure it's correct? I bring some other people in it. Bring some other eyes and ears in it. Sometimes I'm confronting over something petty. And I have to have somebody tell me, that's petty, Tim. Don't worry about it. 
Got it. Because we can be blind to this. We're not good at judging. Yet the Bible tells us we're to judge, but make sure it's really right. Look, it says here in Second Thessalonians here. I'm sorry. Let's, let's back up. I'm, I'm sorry. Here's the, the third thing. That is, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. That's step three. What if they don't listen to you or the people you brought? You tell the rest of the church. Well, now, and I know some of you say, well, do you announce it from the pulpit? Do you tell everybody? I mean, there may be a time for that. Or does it mean telling the church, talking just to the leadership or talking to certain key people in the church? I think it can be both. See, the world would say, you've done all you can, so drop it. And the problem with that concept is this, guys. When we, when we drop it and say, well, I guess we have to agree to disagree, and, it's, and over, over opinion and some things like that, I can get it. But when it's something to do with sin, and we don't deal with it, if we don't take it a step further, because God says, oh, yes, you can do something else. Don't drop it yet. Bring the church in it. When we do that, we make the church healthier. We're actually protecting the church from greater harm. You know, if we don't deal with certain things, people are, let's say we've got somebody hurting a lot of people and we don't deal with it, they're going to continue to hurt people. Well, we've done all we can, so we've got to drop it. No, God says, no, you can do even more. Tell it to the church. Well, who would you tell? Maybe some people that would know how to talk to this person. I've done that. Where I can't get anywhere, maybe someone else can. You see, this involves two kinds of people in the church, the influential and the influenced, when you tell the church. You're involving the influential, those that might be able to help, but you're also involving the influence when you tell the church because they could be misled. And they need to know this is going on. Number four, well, it doesn't work with the church. What do I do now? Well, I have to radically... Adjust the relationship. It's going to t- and I have to adjust the relationship now. And this is the last resort. I think when you radically adjust the relationship, change the relationship, it, you hope it's going to get somebody's attention. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, look what he says in verse 17. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, he said, man, if they don't even listen to the church... Treat him as you would a pagan and a tax collector. And I know there's somebody right now going, see, that's what I'm talking about right there. Treat him like a pagan and a tax collector. I don't think we should be treating people like that and like we don't want them around. Well, back up. Back up. Let me ask you a question. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Was he mean to them? Was he rude to them? I can't think of any passage where he's mean and rude to pagans and tax collectors. Now, is he straight with them? Yeah. So what's he saying here? Treat him like a pagan or a tax collector. Well, if we're not going to listen, you're going to have to back up the relationship and go, I guess we're back to a default switch. You're back to being an unbeliever. You've backed up and you're back to your old life. Now, how are we to treat people that are in their old life or or people that are non-Christians? Do you treat them rudely? A lot of churches do. How are you going to reach them if you're not kind to them? You know, we're kind. I I think it's amazing. We're kind to some people, kinder 
to strangers than we are to people in our own family. Same is true in the kingdom. And he says here, Jesus says, look, if you can't get anywhere, you've talked to them, you've took some people with you, you've told the church now. And this guy says, I am still going to do what I want. I'm going to be whatever I want to be. You're going to have to radically adjust this relationship. You're going to dial it back. It's, you're going to treat him like you would a pagan or a tax collector. I think he's trying to tell us, you've got to see him that way. We don't want to see him that way. Oh, they're harmless. They're just fine. Really. I know a lot of people who appear harmless and just fine that rip people out of this church. You've got to think. And maybe you need to adjust, radically adjust a relationship right now you have with somebody who's left the Lord or is trying to destroy greater own church. Jesus says, you treat him like a pagan or a tax collector. And how did he treat a pagan or a tax collector? He was kind, but he was clear. That's the part, Tim, I think that we're judging. And again, like the Bible says, we're not to, is we're to judge, not by the way things look, but make judgment that's really right. And look what it says here in 2 Thessalonians. This is not in your notes. I think you've got Titus 3. I replaced that passage with 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 through 15, because I think it really fits here. And it's up here on the screen, isn't it, Pat? Look, not Philippians 3, 2 Thessalonians 3. Well, here's what it says. If anyone refuses to obey the command given uh, given above, mark that man. Do not associate with him until he is ashamed of himself. That sounds like a guilt trip. Yeah. And your point? Well, I don't think you should put people on a guilt trip. Uh, God has a guilt trip that we better make sure they're on. Because that trip leads to redemption. And sometimes for a person to get it, you've got to get out of the way. You just don't get it. Okay, so we'll back up here. What are you doing? <laughs> We're changing a relationship. Oh, you're making me feel awful about myself. Well, I'm not trying to make you feel... I'm not trying to do that. Maybe the Spirit is trying to do that to you. Not the Christian. We get out of the way so God can work. And he says here, and then he says, so they'll feel ashamed. And then he says this. I love this disclaimer. I don't mean, of course, treat him as an enemy, but reprimand him as a brother. In the Phillips translation, he's saying, I'm not saying that you treat him like an enemy. I think the NIV says don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. What's he saying there? Pretty simple, isn't it? You don't say, I don't want you around. I can't stand you. Get away from me. You're my enemy. No, you're my brother that needs to be warned. The relationship changes. Let me ask you this question, church. When you're with a pagan and you're trying to reach out to them, what are your topics about? What's the topic you really want to get to? How their football team's doing? Huh? Really? You know better. You're wanting to get that Bible open with them, right? Well, what do you do with somebody that you've already opened the Bible with that has left? You get back in that Bible with them. He's saying the relationship changes. You don't talk about everything like it's hunky-dory because it's not. No, you... 
you get them to the Scripture and you don't treat them like a jerk or like an enemy. You warn them. You reprimand them like a brother. You still love them, in other words, by being straight. Here's the last step and we're done. Discipline can be a blessing in my life. And, and, it, and it happens when I, 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 I work on this corrective discipline. And the fifth step is being ready to forgive. When I'm ready to forgive, look what the Bible says here. You know, Peter's asked Jesus, how many times do you forgive somebody? Seven times? Now, remember, Peter used to be Jewish. And basically, you, 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 as a Jew, you forgave, forgave somebody three times, like a three strikes you're out kind of a thing. Well, he doubles it and adds one for good measure and says, how about that? Pretty good answer, huh? Seven times? Is that why we do it? He must have got that impression from Jesus that he was that way. Abundant forgiveness. And Jesus says, no, I tell you up to not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times, seven times. What what are you talking about? A lot? I can't keep track of that. That's right. I want you ready to forgive. This is on the end of this passage that we're looking at. Because I want you to be ready to forgive when somebody... When you've corrected somebody and they've listened... And they've repented. You see, I need to love them when they leave and love them when they come back. That's the way God is. That's the way God forgives. A little boy named Mark, he was a third grader, and his teacher was giving uh, an assignment she gives every year to the students. I want you to write a story. She starts telling the story of an ant and a grasshopper. How the ant worked all summer. And the ant worked and saved and and stored up for the winter. But the grasshopper was carefree and careless and didn't store up anything. And then the grasshopper, it's winter time, comes to the ant and says, Help me. I have no food. I I didn't get ready. And then she says, Okay, now you need to finish the story, students. Well, um, she calls Mark's dad and says, you're not going to believe this. I get, it tells this assignment. And he goes, what's wrong? What's happening? He goes, well, your son answered this in a way I've never heard it answered before. Most of my students will say, then the ant invited the grasshopper in and they went through the winter together and everybody was fine. And then there's the other half that say, the ant said, no, there won't be enough food. And the grasshopper died. But your son did something else. He said, well, the ant gave all of his food to the grasshopper and the ant died. And then he drew a picture at the bottom of his story of three crosses. And what he had learned was that God, when he forgives, he gives it all. He's eager and ready. And the cross is about that, not about don't ever come back. Didn't Jesus say when I'm lifted up, I'll draw? How? Because he gave it all. And he died so you could have, so I could have. And it's this God 
that calls you and I to be ready to forgive like Him. I tell you what, I'm learning. I'm still learning. When I forgive, I'm a little bit more like God each time. It, that discipline helps me be a little bit more like Christ each time. I'm not there. Not a long way. But this morning, would you just not think about somebody sitting next to you or and just think about where you're, how do you discipline? Where's your discipline coming from? What's your, what's your motive for correction? And your children, co-workers, for other Christians. Is it love? Is it about love? What's your goal? Control or holiness? And when it comes to this church discipline... I know as uncomfortable and unpleasant it is, and it should be unpleasant. It should just be horrible to do. Will you trust what the path of this? When you're on it to correct, or if you're on it to be corrected, why not start the new year by saying, Lord, discipline me any way you want to, because I want to be like you. You have a card in your bulletin, and um, it's just an opportunity to respond to this lesson in whatever way you'd like. We're going to sing a song and take up those cards. Uh, after We're going to give you one song to give you time to do that. Then we'll sing another song and take up those cards along with our contribution. I want to remind you as a guest, you are no, under no obligation to give. Okay, we didn't, we're not having you here to see what you're going to put in the plate. You don't have to worry about that. We'd rather have you receive something. To the rest of us, as Greater Alton Church, give generously. Let's pray.